Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly O'Horo, and this is Adaptable Behavior Explained. Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about EMDR therapy, but today we're going to talk about how we think it works, and we're also going to talk about what we can treat or what presenting issues or problems that people come into uh, therapy with and how we can address those problems. So we're going to dig in a little bit deeper in that way. So EMDR therapy has principles rooted in cognitive behavioral therapy, in psychodynamic therapy, as well as somatic therapies. So it brings in components from all of those modalities. The cognitive behavioral part is related to our negative thinking patterns and the way that we have beliefs about ourselves that are not useful. The psychodynamic theory is brought in because we need to understand our early life experiences, the origins of our story, how we were raised, and how that has impacted the way that we show up today. And the somatic therapies are brought in because ultimately trauma lives in our body and how we address the resolution of memories that were maladaptively encoded, we also have to address how things are somatically stored. So we address through um, EMDR therapy also somatic experiences. So EMDR therapy is modeled and uses an eight-phase standard protocol, but there are also many other protocols that have been devised and adapted over the years to address really specific issues. So there are protocols for addiction, for phobias, for performance enhancement, for veterans and first responders. There are specific protocols for couples. And so therapists over the years have gotten really creative at tweaking and modifying protocols in order to address very specific presenting issues. And what I love is that the standard protocol really does address most presenting issues. But when we run into bumps and and we need to figure out some ways to modify, uh, we have our we have some different tools at our disposal. So some of the presenting issues that EMDR therapy can treat, and quite frankly, I feel like I have the coolest job in the whole world because I can see a problem when a client comes in and no matter what it looks like, what I realize is it's got its roots in memory. Everything that we're addressing has something to do with with memory that was encoded and still stuck in trauma time. And so some things that we can address are specific phobias. I'll give you guys a personal example for that. I was at a training at Emdria and Aude de Jong, who has uh, come up with a whole bunch of new research in our field about how we think EMDR works. And I'll talk about it in a little while. He developed a phobia protocol. And so I volunteered to be the demonstration uh, patient on stage at this conference. And I have, uh, or had, I should say, a phobia of cockroaches. And I would get deathly afraid of cockroaches. And I couldn't even walk outside in the summer here in Arizona because I would be so jumpy about what if one of them crawls across my foot. And so he gets me on stage and he does the phobia protocol and he has me imagine the worst case scenario. And I literally started crying on stage as I imagined cockroaches falling from the ceiling, from, from my, from my ceiling in my house and landing on me and in my shirt. And I was just so upset and so dysregulated. And in 17 minutes, I had an entirely different vantage point of how I experienced cockroaches before. And I even had this imaginal experience at the end where I imagined them being the sort of the saviors of our world because they clean up 
everything that no, no other animals or bugs or insects wants to clean up. And I imagined them, you know, running for their lives when I would almost step on one because they were so scared and they're not scary and they don't want to hurt me. And so my relationship with that former fear is completely different and I'm not jumpy anymore. So EMDR is some kind of such cool magic with things like that. Um, but it can treat things like depression where I had to learn to shut down as a child and I, my needs just went unmet, went unmet, went unmet. And so I have a, a, a depressive or a hypo aroused state and it's chronic and it's long lasting. And so it can treat depression. It can treat grief and loss. And it doesn't necessarily get rid of grief, but it accelerates the grief process so that anything else that's tied with grief can be minimize. So if there's some betrayal or if there's responsibility or if there's shock, all of those components of grief are really, or that can be part of a grief experience, those can be addressed so that the grief process can be cleaner and, and, and a little bit smoother and more expeditious. It can treat addiction. It can treat positive feelings associated with addiction, like euphoria and relief and excitement. There are protocols that ad- address the underpinnings for uh, the traumatic experiences or triggers that are related to addiction. And this is some of the, this is some of the work that I really enjoy doing because just like negative emotions get attached in our memory networks, positive experiences do as well. You know, think about your first kiss and the cologne that the person was wearing or the perfume, it's all tied together. Or, you know, grandma's apple pie at a holiday brings you right back to that time and place. Well, the same thing happens with positive emotions that are tied to uh, addictive behavior like, like I said, like euphoria or relief or excitement. And so when we can desensitize the pairing of those experiences, we can make the uh, desire to use something that we don't really want to use anymore way diminished. And it, and it can really help to prevent uh, addiction cycles and it, it can prevent relapse if we do the work on that, as well as the underlying reasons that we needed to address in the first place as to why we're using a substance in an abusive manner. It can treat dissociative disorders. It can treat obsessive compulsive disorders, especially if we can target the traumatic events or distressing memories that contribute to OCD symptoms. So kind of like, uh, let's say I have a compulsion to wash my hands and I did it as a child and I have some trauma around having raw hands or having cuts on my hands because I couldn't stop washing my hands. There's trauma around that, but there's also anxiety that we're addressing with compulsions and obsessions that when we can get the nervous system to settle down, the decreasing of the behaviors that we're compulsively doing massively reduces. We can address self-esteem issues and self-image issues, uh, body image issues, if I don't feel like I'm pretty enough or smart enough or skinny enough, and I can uh, I can do some work around where those beliefs and thoughts happened, or I can target things related to why I'm not taking very good care of myself, and maybe that has more to do with self-worth. If we address the memories that got encoded in our childhoods uh, or in our young adult lives that are contributing to those experiences of self-esteem and self-image, we reduce those feelings of worthlessness, which is so beautiful and powerful. We can do cool things related to performance enhancement or performance anxiety. So we can imagine in the future something like public speaking, and we can set up targets related to the future anticipatory anticipatory anxiety of an experience, and we can settle down the nervous system 
related to performance. And so that kind of work can be fun with, you know, athletes or presenters or, or even things that aren't uh, so, so pressure oriented, but someone just wants to do a better job in an area of their life. We can address performance um, anxiety. We can address chronic pain. Now, if we have an ecological reason for pain, we can't physically change the way our bodies show up. However, we can address the emotional and psychological aspects of a condition. We can address the relationship with pain. And a lot of times our body will be telling us when we're not listening to our emotional experience and it creates chronic pain. And so it's the dashboard or the data that we need to listen to. So like, let's say I had a, a, an injury because I fell out of a truck when I was younger and there was an ecological reason, reason and I had a crushed disc. And so they come in and they say, my back hurts so much. I, I can say to them, do we want to address some of that chronic pain? And we can help to alleviate some of that uh, experience of pain, the relationship with pain. So instead of the brain firing as if we need to protect from that injury, it can settle down and set different, send different messages to the body that's tightening up and protecting as if we needed to remain in a protective place. We can use it for stress reduction, installing better coping skills, allowing people to have more capacity related to just highly stressful lives and dealing with the stress that they face on a day-to-day basis. We can deal with relationship issues, whether it's parenting or in marriages and things that are related to our attachment systems. We can treat and address disordered eating because a lot of times the behaviors that have to do with disordered eating or eating disorders are rooted in attachment injuries. Or sometimes I I even had one client where there was a deficit in utero because there was a transmission issue when she was uh, growing in her mom's stomach. And there was an angst around not getting enough because she was essentially starving and they had to deliver her preterm because they recognized this issue and baby wasn't growing. And so in um, in her early years, she was binge eating and didn't understand why she was binge eating. And we recognized that it was related to this early experience in utero where she was starving. And so we reprocessed this developmental experience and she stopped with her in binge eating um, behaviors. We can address body image concerns. We can address pretty much it runs the gamut. If we have a qualified therapist who understands how to treat these uh, experiences and presenting issues from an adaptive Uh, information processing lens, therapists can help to reverse engineer and reprocess any of these presenting issues. But like I said, results do vary from person to person, and there are variables that contribute to that. It could be client readiness. It could be the relationship with the therapist. It could be therapist qualifications and experience. And so these are all part of an interview process that's necessary when selecting an EMDR therapist. And I have a website, uh, uh, On my website, I have a video that helps to instruct how to find an EMDR therapist in your area. So you can click on that link below. But EMDR is also additionally used with many other modalities because like I talked about in a previous episode, in phase two, we're doing preparation and education. And so many of our clients don't have the information They don't have the groundwork that they needed. So this can come by way of classes. This can come by way of things like 
workshops and groups. I know in our group, we offer mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is a beautiful class to learn how to connect in our body, to learn how to be still, to learn how to connect with how our body is um, showing up and getting quiet, which can be a really hard thing for people to do who've had a lot of trauma. Getting quiet and being still can almost be a phobia for many people. And so these classes help for the stabilization, and they can also be done in conjunction with treatment. DBT classes are really excellent to help with the educational component of what uh, is needed in the adaptive part of our preparation. I run classes like codependency educational classes, um, boundaries classes, Daring Way, which is part of Brene Brown's research to help people understand their values and their shame and, and those types of things. And so we can use EMDR therapy in conjunction with a variety of other uh, settings in order to accelerate or expedite the process. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about how we think it works. And for those of you who are not interested in the mechanisms or theoretical un underpinnings, this might not interest you. But for those who kind of want to understand better how we think it works, well, I'm here to tell you we don't fully know, but we have some ideas and we have some theory that some theories that s support why we think that it works. So one of the theories is that it has something to do with almost REM sleep and really recreating sort of a REM sleep experience in, in um, awake time. And we use bilateral stimulation, which is like eye movements. And there's most of our research is uh, supports eye movements as being part of why we think it works. We also know that part of the orienting response is critical in EMDR therapy. So when I'm setting up a target with a client and I'm having them tune into an experience that's in the past, we're oriented with the therapist in a dual relation or in a dual awareness way where what we're, we're present in the past, but we're also present in the now. And so there's this dual attention and the orienting response to the now. So remember, uh, trauma is oftentimes a time orientation issue in our body. And ultimately we need to be present with the now that something happened in the past. It's not happening now. In our most recent research, and this is where we we are thinking now that it's probably more related to this, but we're not positive, but we're taxing our working memory when we're working on memory work with desensitization in that phase. And basically we kind of upload the arousal, we upload the the experience and its components of memory that are that are hot or that are that are that are effectively aroused, and then we tax our working memory. So that can look like we do bilaterals. We might have somebody do simple math problems or recall something um, like geographical regions, or there's all sorts of ways we can tax our working memory. And ultimately what we think is happening is that we are changing the way memory is held by bringing all of this stuff in current time awareness. And then when we tax the working memory, it seems to be able to desensitize and sort of store back in a different way, no longer tied to uh, the arousal and the distress that it once was tied to. So the core concepts of EMDR therapy uh, is that it, it comes from the model of adaptive information processing, and it integrates aspects from various therapeutic theories like um, cognitive behavioral, psychodynamic, and somatic therapies. 
And it suggests that the brain has a natural tendency to process and adaptively uh, resolve distressing memories. And so under the right conditions, such as dual attention and guided processing, we can ultimately be able to show up today in the most adaptive way. And we can grow in ways that are so um, beautiful and whole, and it can treat the whole person. So the EMDR as a psychotherapy, not just as a technique or using a specific protocol for a presenting issue, is really comprehensive. It addresses the full clinical picture, including individual, relational, and behavioral domains. Uh, it can optimize the person's capacity to respond adaptively. It helps to build and restore resiliency and promotes personal growth. And it, it really requests and requires that the therapeutic alliance is, a, is an integral part of the therapeutic efficacy and the outcome. And it can treat, like I said, presenting issues, low self-esteem, attachment issues, developmental deficits, uh, other personal characteristics. It's collaborative. It's evidence-based. It's based on the adaptive information processing model, which is a learning theory and that we're hardwired for healing. And ultimately, it can address the past, it can address present issues, and we can, we can address anticipatory or future anxieties. And it helps us ultimately gain greater sense of control over our lives and develop uh, adaptive, more resilient, uh, more resiliency and greater coping mechanisms in the now. It can reduce the charge associated with experiences that have happened in our past so that we can live with a freedom today that events that happen that that we experienced in our lives don't have to live in our body today as if they're still happening. And that's the freedom that I hope you all find and you all deserve. The other piece that I just want to reiterate is it's important that you find a licensed trained therapist who I recommend continues consultation and uh, has their own therapy practice as part of their growth because it helps us to be much more present in the transformative experience as a therapist to have our own work. And so that part takes a little bit of interviewing on your end, but I highly recommend that. And as I said before, I've got a video with some resources on how to find uh, an EMDR therapist in your area. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that you lead with love. It'll never steer you wrong.